Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. We are starting a brand new series, and I always get kind of jazzed when I get into some new content, but I'm especially excited today because we are talking about the mission of our church and why we exist as a church. So if you are here for the first time, if you're a guest with us today, you're going to hear some things uh, that, that really I think is a great, great for you to hear for the first time being here because this is the stuff that if you cut us, like we bleed this stuff, okay? Like this is like what we are all about as a church. And before we get into that, I just wanna welcome everyone joining us at all of our campuses, our Franklin campus, our Banta campus, our Garfield Park campus, of course here at Greenwood, everyone watching in our online campus and our microsites. We welcome all of you. So exciting. We know we've got friends watching all over the country and even over the world. And so uh, today is a good day for you to be joining us. Today we're starting a series called The Relentless Pursuit. And if you were here many years ago, you, you will recall that phrase. It's something that, that uh, is near and dear to our heart. It's, it's really what we are all about as a church and why we exist. Another way we say it is that we exist to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. We are on a relentless pursuit to see our friends, our family members, our co-workers, hey, even strangers, come and know Jesus Christ and enter into the kingdom of God. Where do we get this from? Where do we get this, the clarity of our mission as a church? We get it from Jesus. We get it from how he lived his life. Uh, we get it from the things that he said. One day he was on the road walking past a guy named Levi, and Levi was simply doing his job. He was out there collecting taxes. That's what he did. And Jesus' message to him, if you're a note taker, was so simple. Two words in your notes. Jesus' invitation to Matthew was so simple. He said, follow me. Just come, just come on, just, just kind of get up from what you're doing and come follow me. It wasn't complicated, but it was significant. It was extraordinary. Let me explain why. Back in those days, for someone to follow a rabbi, and that's what Jesus was, he was a rabbi, he was a teacher of the law. In order to follow a rabbi, you had to be the cream of the crop. You had to go through years and years and years of education and schooling. You had to memorize the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You had to be the best of the best of the best for a rabbi to come up to you and say, hey, guess what? You've made it. You're the cream of the crop. Now you can come follow me and be my disciple. And here's Jesus, like the greatest rabbi to ever live, and he stops to invite a tax collector who failed out of Jewish school. He was a total thief, because back in those days, it wasn't like working for the IRS. It was, you know, basically, there were no rules, there were no regulations. You can charge whatever you wanted to charge. You could pocket the difference. Essentially, that's what the tax collectors did. They worked for the Roman government, and they would overcharge their friends, neighbors, family members, whatever they wanted, and they would pay the Roman government, and then they would take the difference without regulation, and they would put it in their pocket. 
And so tax collectors were the worst of the worst. They were put into this category of murderers and prostitutes, the scum of the earth. And here's Jesus breaking protocol, walking up to the, not the cream of the crop, but the bottom of the barrel. And he says to him, you come follow me. This invitation is also incredibly significant because what it meant back then to follow a rabbi was that you left everything behind and you became this, this apprentice, this understudy, this student. You went where the rabbi went. You ate what the rabbi ate. You lived, sometimes you lived with the rabbi that you were studying under. This was a radical call of obedience to follow the rabbi. And Matthew makes this decision to get up and follow Jesus. Look what, look what it says in verse 28. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 28. Jesus, it says, so Levi got up and he left everything. And he followed Jesus. Wow. What's going on here? Well, G Levi actually realizes what's at stake here. He realizes that this is an extraordinarily moment in his life to be invited to follow a rabbi. He knows he's a thief. He knows he's a crook. He knows that he's been chasing money. That's what these guys were doing. They were, they were tax collectors were incredibly wealthy. The whole goal of their life was to accumulate wealth and buy things and have nice homes. And he suddenly sees something different, a different path, a different way to go. And maybe he's even heard about Jesus, that Jesus is full of grace and mercy, that Jesus will forgive the worst of the worst, that following Jesus led to peace and joy. And so he gets up and he follows. You know, there's a lot of gospels out there today. And the word gospel, uh, it, it, you know, it simply means good news or, you know, a, the path to go down for life. That's what the word gospel means. And our culture promises us all different types of gospels. It says, hey, if you pursue money, you'll be happy. If you pursue success, you'll be happy. If you, you know, have more stuff, you'll be happy. If you have the, you know, a really great relationship, you know, you'll be happy. There's a lot of things that our culture promises us happiness through. And Jesus says, no, 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 listen, here's the deal. They're all wrong. Matt, Levi, you've been going down the wrong path. You know it and I know it. Levi, the money will never make you happy. Come follow me. In John chapter 14, verse 6, the verse that we just skipped over right here, look what Jesus said. He said, recorded by the apostle John, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the, say it with me, alive. See, a rabbi was claiming that you should follow me because I have discovered the path to true life. I, I am the way. Like every single rabbi had an interpretation of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Every single rabbi was saying, look, I, my interpretation, my way is the best way. It's the truth. It's the life. Come follow and study under me. Jesus would say to us today, there's a lot of people out there claiming to know the way and the truth and the life, but they're all wrong. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Wow, what an incredible invitation. And Matthew accepts, he gets up, he leaves behind his tax collecting booth and he follows Jesus. And he becomes one of the most influential Christians of all time. He goes on to write the book of Matthew. His name is Matthew Levi. Same thing. I don't know how that works. You can Google it. 
It's the same dude. It's the same dude. He writes the Gospel of Matthew. He records the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest TED Talk ever given, 17 minutes long. He follows around Jesus. He memorizes his talks and he records what he, what he hears. Matthew chapter four, verse 17. This is the message that Jesus would go around and he would preach. He would say, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was the message that Jesus gave when he would start preaching. How different that is from what we hear preachers say today. A lot of times you hear pre preachers say like, here's the gospel. You want to know what the good news is? That Jesus has come to this earth. He's died on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the grave. And if you trust in him, you can go to heaven when you die. Have you heard this? Now, I don't disagree with any of that. I believe it's all true. But that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say when he started preaching in his ministry, hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to die on a cross. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. And if you trust in me, you get to go to heaven when you die. Isn't that awesome, guys? That wasn't his message. This is actually very different from that. Do you agree, yes or no? Repent of your sins and turn into the kingdom of God because it's near. It's like the remote control when your kids haven't lost it, right? It's near. <laughs> I lose it too, so I'm not just blaming them. But it, what it means to be near is that it's right there at hand and you can take hold of it and you can make use of it. It's, it's not this far place off after you die. Uh, many, many Christ followers today are, are, are under the, this, 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 I don't know, illusion or delusion that, that Christianity is about, it's about the next life. Like things will be really good in the next life. There'll be no tears and no crime and no fear and no, 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 no disease and no cancer. And all that's true. But Jesus didn't say, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just kind of drag your feet through this life. <sighs> Life's terrible. Life's hard. Oh. And just get excited about dying because then when you die, every, everything's going to be great. Like that wasn't his message, was it? Like just kind of grind through this horrible, terrible existence on earth. And then, you know, when death happens, that's when the party begins. And that's, that's a lot of how if you, the average Christian is literally walking through their life, dragging their feet. Life is so hard and they're complaining and, oh, they got back pains and neck pains and oh, I got this. And, and no wonder the people around you don't want to become Christians. <laughs> like who would want that, right? Like if that's what Christianity is for, like I don't need God. Jesus' message wasn't about, hey, get excited about what happens after death, although that's, there's some exciting stuff coming. His message was, no, I've come to bring heaven here, right now. It's near. You can step into it right now. And here's how you do it. You have to repent. That's his message. What does it mean to repent? It means to simply turn. It means to do an about-face it means to do a 180. To, see, see, what's going on is that we are living in our own little kingdoms or queendoms, ladies. We know about your queendoms. I know about your queendoms. I got two in my house. We have to turn from living in our own ways according to our own knowledge of what we think is right or wrong. And we have to start, step into a different kingdom, which is God's kingdom. A couple of years ago, Jackie and I took the kids down to Florida, way down south somewhere. I think it was Orlando. It was like 18 hours to get there. On the way back, we're about three hours into our trip. We needed gas. We pulled into a gas station. And I think we were taking 95. I think that's the route we were on, 95 north, coming back to Indiana. And um, we got back on the highway. We got back on 95 going the wrong way. 
And I'm driving, and Jackie's in the passenger seat, and I'm like, man, this looks familiar. <laughs> I've seen that. I'm like, everything looks, just looks the same. It's amazing how Florida is like that. And then a little bit further, I'm like, oh, oh no. We're going the wrong way. Now, can I ask you a question? Just, just, just between me and you, just like that's true. <laughs> Whose fault is that? I mean, I'm the driver. Who's the navigator? <laughs> right? How much can one person do here? It's not, it wasn't Jackie's fault. It's just a little insight, man. It's always your fault. Always. That's going to go a long way for some of you guys. Good marital advice. It's always your fault. But here's what we had to do on the highway that day. We had to, we had to repent. We did. We did a 180. We turned around. Jesus' message is that, is that you, you are going the wrong way in selfishness, in pride, in lust, in arrogance, in anger. And, and, and you have to turn and live in my kingdom. That was his message. And that's exactly what Matthew did. But that doesn't explain what the kingdom is. What is the kingdom? What is this offer? Come follow me into the kingdom. Well, if you're taking notes, it's real simple. The kingdom of God is the active rule of Jesus on earth. Remember, it's not about going to heaven when you die, although that's included. It's about the kingdom coming here right now. Think about the prayer that Jesus gave us. If you have some Catholic background and you grew up in Catholic church or went to Catholic school, you can quote this. Most of us have heard it many, many times. You can say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth as it is done in heaven. That's not a prayer that, we, that he gave us to kind of say in church. That's a life. That's the message. God, today I want your kingdom here. I want your will, not my will, but your will to be done right now in this classroom at the job, in this building, in this meeting when I'm parenting these children, when I'm having a discussion with my wife. I want, I want your kingdom here now. And guess what? It's available now. Jesus brought, the, he was the kingdom bringer to you and I. What is the kingdom? It's, it's what God is doing on earth right now. So when you open up the New Testament and you see Jesus heal somebody like a leper or give somebody a blind person their sight or raise a little girl from the dead or whatever he was doing, that's the kingdom. It, the kingdom is, is, is wherever God is doing what God wants to do. Isn't that a kingdom? I mean, think about it with me. What's the nature of a kingdom? The kingdom or queendom, ladies, means you're in charge of what? This area right here. In other words, your will is executed over a certain area, right? Even if it's just your bedroom, <laughs> right? Everybody's got in there. Like little children come into this world, little kings and little queens. How do we know that? Two words. They learn no, where they learn that. <laughs> it's built into them. And mine, right? Those are kingdom words. No and mine, right? Even if it's just their, their, their space in the back seat, right? They'll get into a fight with their brother or sister because they, their space was invaded. See, that's kingdom language. 
kingdom is, is where God is doing things. One time, Jesus cast a demon out of somebody in Luke chapter 11. And his critics said, oh, look, he's a devil. Only a devil can do that. And Jesus is like, come on, the devils don't cast out devils. They're on the same team, knucklehead. That's my paraphrase, okay? And then Jesus says this in verse 20. But if I'm casting out demons by the power of who? God. Like, like if God has showed up here, shown up here, then guess what? Then the kingdom has arrived. It's not out there after you die. It's right here. Like, like the kingdom is wherever Jesus decides to do anything. And then he says to you and I, come and follow me into that kingdom. Live in it with me. Wow. That's the offer of Christianity. That's the invitation of Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, if you're a note taker, there's nothing like it on planet earth. Life, life in the kingdom is the best offer for you and I on this globe that we live on. There is no, nothing better. Look, Levi was chasing money and he saw it. He's like, money, money can do a little bit. It can make you a little happy. You can buy a lot of stuff. But, but this guy's got something else. What's going on with Kanye West right now? Come on, come on. You up to speed with Kanye? Like, I know, I was a critic at first. I was like, okay, let's see what this guy's doing. You know, he's a little bonkers. But now after you watch a little bit, he's holding church services with like 15,000, like he's renting space and 17,000 people show up and they're, he's preaching the gospel and people are coming to Christ and he's, giving, he's making Christian music and he's, I think he's going to be at Joel Osteen's church this weekend. He was just at a jail. I saw him preaching in a jail, rapping and doing music for prisoners and giving the gospel presentation. They're on their knees accepting Christ. Why would Kanye do that? He's got Bentleys and private airplanes and mansions and he's married to Kim, right? Like, what does he need? Why would he turn to Christ? Why would he turn into the kingdom? Is it because he knows I've tasted all of it and the best deal on planet earth is the kingdom, yes or no? That's what's going on. Listen, there are desires inside of you. There are desires inside of me that nothing physical can ever satisfy. C.S. Lewis helped me to see this. In his book, Mere Christianity, this is what he said, perhaps the, the best quote in the book. He said, if I find in myself a desire that nothing in this world, no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for what? Another world. What world is that? It's the kingdom of God. I love what St. Augustine said in the same vein. Listen to what he said. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Like God, there's nothing in this world, no amount of money, no amount of success, no amount of fame, no fortune. No. There's nothing I can experience on this planet that can satisfy the desires of my soul. I tried when I was in high school. This is my story. Like This is why I'm a pastor today. When I was 16, 17, 18, all I wanted to do was be happy. And I thought, man, maybe if, if I'm the most popular kid, maybe, maybe that, maybe that, because I was a popular kid and I was funny and I, I did risky things and I got people's respect and I had a pretty girlfriend and this and I got a car and I was like, then and I was like, maybe it's sports. 
Maybe it's sports. So if I can dedicate myself to being the best basketball player I can be, then, then maybe that will satisfy these, this hunger for acceptance and, and happiness. And, and so I did it. I, I went after it and I practiced and, and I broke the scoring record in my high school. I scored over 1,000 points. I made a short list of players in New York City. I made the New York Daily News Advance All-Stars. I, my picture was in the paper. I was recruited by New York University to play basketball. I played basketball for them my freshman year. And I'm like... I'm still empty. All the success. I won the awards. I got the trophies. Well, then what? Maybe it's money. And right before I could start to pursue money, I stumbled into something called the kingdom of God. And it satisfied me in a way that nothing else could. And it's why I'm a pastor today. There's nothing better than the kingdom of God on this planet Some of you have been chasing other things and you know it, you know it. It's not the next relationship. It's not the next next raise. It's not the next promotion. It's not the different job. It's not having the baby. It's not having another baby. It's the kingdom that you were created for. When I meet people that are not in the kingdom, here's here's how I see them, not in a judgmental way. I see them as fish out of water flopping around, still alive, but choking as they pursue money, flopping around. You ever see a fish out of water? It takes them a while to die. They're not dead yet. They're searching, looking, hoping. And what I try to do when I meet somebody like that, I say, get in the water. Come on, follow Jesus. Like, Dive into the kingdom. Like you were made to swim and live in the kingdom of God and thrive and find life in the water. One time Jesus said, I am the living water. Wow. He used provocative language when it came to the kingdom. Like no one tried to sell this deal harder than Jesus. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Levi records these words, interesting, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Listen to what Jesus said about the kingdom. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a what? Like a, a treasure, like a, you know, pirate's booty, <laughs> you know? It's like the kingdom is like stumbling upon buried treasure. That's what he says. As the person's like plowing the field, digging in the field, he discovers this treasure. And what does he do? In his, watch this, in his what? In his excitement, another version says joy, he goes off and he, and he sells everything he has. Well, first thing he does is he buries it. He's like, oh, hide this. I don't want anybody else to find it. Then he gets all his stuff and he goes to eBay and he sells it all on eBay. And he gets enough money to come back and buy the field. Because what's in the field? I mean, I know it's plastic, but it's the best work can do. What's in the field? He found the treasure. He's like, I've got to get, this is Jesus teaching about the kingdom. Like, this is what I, I came to bring this kingdom and you were made for it. It's treasure. Do whatever you have to do to gain it because it's that valuable. And so he goes off and he sells everything he owns to buy that field. Could you get more provocative than that? Could you sell it any more than that? It's the best offer on the planet. So let's talk about Levi. Levi stumbles in. He follows Jesus. We got, we got some gold down here. It's going to distract me. It's, get that, get that. <laughs> Levi, he, he gets up, he follows, he realizes what he's found. 
He's been invited into something grand, something his heart has always longed for, something money could never give. Let me say that again, something money could never give. Some of you need to hear that twice. He leaves his job, he embraces the kingdom, he follows Christ, and then what does he do next? He does what, what, what is completely natural. Isn't it true that we invite others into what we enjoy? Isn't it true? Look, look what he does, look what he does in verse 29. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the honored guest. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests, other disreputables, other scum of the earth, joined. What did he do? He said, guys, I'm having a party at my, my, my house Friday night. Uh, you you, you got to come. I want you to meet. I want you to meet somebody. I want you to... I want you to find what I found. You don't understand, this, this, this guy, this guy's got like, he's got joy I've never seen. He's got peace, I've, he's got grace. Like I know like all the other teachers of the law, they, they hate us and we steal and we're bad people. But Jesus, when he, when he saw me, he invited me in. Like he gave me grace. You gotta meet him. We're not too far gone. There's grace available for us. Will you come to my house Friday night? He throws a party. Why? Because it's natural for you and I to invite others into what we enjoy. Isn't this the way it works? You go to a nice restaurant, you eat, you eat, you eat some meal, and you get great service. What do you do? You post it. Some of you even take pictures of your food and you post your food. Look, I think that's lame, but hey, you know what? It's, it's human. I understand it. I think it's lame. I understand it. It's like, oh, I got to take a picture of this. Send it to my friends. Why do we do that? Because we want to share what we enjoy. We, we hear a great song, we want to share it. We, we, we see a, a funny video. Oh, this one gets me every time. When, when I see a funny video, I'm like, I'm cracking up. I have to tell my wife. Like, I can't. It's like, you have to see this video. Come stop what you're doing right now. Come, in the, come over here and watch this video. And if she's not available, I'll drag one of my kids in and say, you got to see, look, sit, watch this cat. You got to watch this cat. You're not going to believe it. Why do we do that? Right? You do it too. We do that because it's natural for you and I to invite others into what we enjoy. So here's Levi, like he has met God. He has tasted grace, amazing grace. He has found joy and peace that he's never known before. And he's like, guys, 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 you gotta come. I love what C.S. Lewis said. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. It's human to share what we enjoy. In fact, when you experience something wonderful or delightful or tasty or joyful and then you can't share it, isn't it frustrating? Don't you want to just, don't you just want to go crazy? It's like, oh, I've got to tell somebody. Because <laughs> the delight is incomplete until it's expressed. I'm a pastor today not because, a pastor be, not because being a pastor is, is a great profession. I think it is. But I'm a pastor today because the delight is incomplete until it's expressed. It brings me incredible joy to talk about Jesus in the kingdom. Because I have found the treasure hidden in the field. And in my excitement and in my joy, I have done whatever I've had to do to live in it and bathe in it and soak in it. And I just want you to taste what I've tasted. There's another person uh, in our church that has experienced this. Her name is Cindy. And I want you to hear her story right now. 
It's a story of coming into the kingdom and inviting others in. Check out our story. It's like when we go in and the row keeps getting more full and I don't know who those people are and then all of a sudden I ask and they go, oh, that's my cousin. Oh, that's my sister-in-law. Oh, that's my sister-in-law's mom. Through their family, through their friends, it just, it just keeps going. My name is Cindy Bailey and I've been attending Emmanuel Church for about four and a half years. The story behind me starting uh, to attend Emmanuel um, was back in the spring of 2016 when my son Alex had asked if he could have a bachelor party at our house that we had just moved to. And I said, yes, as long as you stay in the garage. So he and a bunch of his high school buddies decided that they wanted to have a video party where they were gonna play video games that they used to play in high school. So they put up a bunch of TVs in the garage and they were all out there having a good time. In fact, uh, they were all screaming like little girls. When I went out to kind of see what the guys were doing, I just started having conversations with each one of them since I'd known them um, for so many years. And one of those uh, friends was actually Ross Mills. And uh, he, if you know him, he's one of the drummers on the worship team. And that was the night that Ross gave the invitation to me um, to come to church. And I said, well, we've got plans this weekend. And he said, well, I'm drumming next weekend too. Could you come? And I said, yeah, I'll be there. At that time, my husband, Tom, and I uh, were going through a little bit of a rough season. Uh, his mom had been ill, and we were also preparing for my dad to move in with us, who was starting to show signs of dementia. We knew that we had uh, uh, really some struggles ahead. When I took that invitation and I showed up that next weekend, um, the message that Danny was preaching was just on point for me. Um, he really sent the message that we really cannot reach the potential that we are intended to reach without walking that walk with, with Jesus. And so from that point forward, I knew that I was just gonna jump headfirst right into it. I was relentless to try and get my husband to come to, to church with me. And it took a while. First of all, I started going to church by myself and every weekend that I went, I would just be fueled even more than I was the weekend before. So I knew that at that time I had a calling and I was intended to do more than just sit in a seat. That invitation is what changed everything for us individually and for our marriage. My husband and I started attending together and the longer that we started going to services, the more we realized that we needed to spread this, this message because we wanted to share the joy that we were feeling so we started making invitations. This year I was blessed uh, with the opportunity to join the worship team, where that's just given me another uh, avenue for me to reach people. I get fueled when I've made those invitations. My husband and I have been to a restaurant or we drive through Starbucks or we're at the Lowe's or the Home Depot, you know, wherever we might be and we run into someone and we find that there's somebody that we feel like, you know, would be somebody we can invite to church. I'll be up singing. And I look across the congregation and all of a sudden I connect with a face and it's somebody that we invited. And I have to sometimes get myself together because I get overwhelmed that they accepted that invitation and they're actually sitting in one of those seats. We might not hit everybody. We might not, you know, bat a thousand, but we're gonna keep trying. We're gonna keep inviting because overall, God left the 99 behind to seek out the one and we feel like that we're on that pursuit as well. Sometimes you never know when somebody's hurting or somebody just needs that nudge. 
and maybe we're that person that gets them to say, I'll show up. And to think that that one invitation that I got from Ross hadn't happened. I don't want someone just to show up. I want somebody to show up and have that same experience that my husband and I had that have changed us individually and changed us as, as a couple. I also see what it did for our friends who we've invited, what it's done to them individually, what it's done to their marriage. I'm in awe sometimes when I, I look down the row and I'm like, okay, there was just four of us, now there's six of us, now there's eight of us, now there's 10 of us. And where does it end? It doesn't have to, right? It doesn't have to end because we can keep making invitations and those people that have accepted those invitations keep making invitations and those people keep making invitations and before you know it, there's not a seat left in the church. That's my hope. My favorite line, you said so many good things in that video, Cindy, but uh, my favorite thing that you said was, uh, I, just, I don't want people to just come sit. I want them to experience what Tom and I have experienced. And what she's talking about is everything I've been trying to, to the best of my ability, explain life with God, purpose and meaning and joy and peace like you've never known before, the satisfaction of your soul that nothing in this world could, could provide for you. Jesus says, come follow me. But you know, that day, not everybody was excited about this little party that Matthew threw. There were some people that didn't like it. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Let me, let me show you what they said in verse 30, Matthew chapter 5. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they complained to Jesus' disciples. they like, why does he do this? Why does he eat with such scum? Their view of God was that all he had for Sinners was wrath and indignation and anger and punishment. They didn't interpret the Old Testament correctly. All they had to do was read the book of Jonah to realize that God delights to show mercy, not judgment. If people would just turn, he's so quick to forgive. He's so longing to forgive. Why does he eat with such scum? So Jesus has to clarify. And the next thing he says in Matthew chapter 4, 5, could be the vision statement of our church. It's just a little bit too long. But let me read it to you. He says to these guys, oh, you're so misled. Listen, don't you understand that healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do? Sinners, broken people, every single one of us, Levi, we are Levi. Don't you understand that? He says this, I have, I've come not to call those who think they're righteous, because nobody is. You're misled if you think that you're righteous and better than others. We're all broken. But rather, I've come for those who know that they are sinners and need to do what? Say it with me. Repent. What is repentance? It's doing a 180. It's turning around on the highway of life. It's saying, I'm going the wrong way, living in my own kingdom, living in my own queendom, and I need to stop, and I need to, I need to turn into the kingdom, which is very, very near and it's what I was made for. It's, it's like a fish out of water jumping into the water. I'm finally home. And as a church, we've been handed the ball. It's like Jesus, when he ascended back to heaven, 
He handed it off to us and said, now that I've fulfilled my mission, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and invite others into the kingdom. And so as a church, that's what we've been doing. We call it the relentless pursuit. We're here to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. So what does it mean to you today? Two challenges. Number one in your notes there is you need to follow Jesus yourself into the kingdom. You need to follow Jesus yourself. You need to go in. You need to find the treasure hidden in the field. You need to experience it, live in it, absorb it, walk with him, talk with him, live in his, under his active rule, find the treasure yourself. And what happens is he begins to transform you from the inside out and anger begins to fall off and lust begins to fall off and greed begins to fall away from your life. Addictions fall away from your life, not at first, but over time. And what gets replaced is this thing called the fruit of the spirit, this love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control begin to be dominate your life and we're, we're reformed from the inside out as we live in God's kingdom under his active rule. We have to seek it. We have to find it and live in it. Jesus gave us this instruction in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Like before you do any other seeking in your life, promotions at work or having another child or finding a new home or moving away or whatever, before you seek anything else in life, I want you to seek the kingdom. What does that mean? Live in it. And he promises if we do that and we live righteously, he will give you everything that you need. If we don't do number one, guess what? We won't be excited to do number two, which is to invite others into the kingdom. To do what Cindy's been doing. To do what Levi did. And say, you gotta come, you gotta come, you gotta hear. See, I never said to Cindy, Cindy, I'm glad you're coming to church, Tom. I, never ha I didn't call them in and, and have a little meeting with them and say, now that you're, you love Emmanuel and, and Ross invited you and, and I'm so glad he did, now you need to go invite everybody else in your life. I never said that to them. I never said that to her. She did it by herself. Why? Because when you find the kingdom and you realize what you found, that you found hidden treasure in a field, you, you, in your excitement, in your joy, you, you naturally invite others into what you are enjoying, yes? See, the reason why some of you haven't invited some, can I say something hard? Can I do that? Yes? Can I do that? Just bracing you. The reason some of you haven't invited anyone in the last two months, six months, two years, five years to church, the reason it's all about you and, and, and you barely come is because you're not living in the kingdom. Not, why would you invite others into it? There's not excitement, there's not joy. You see how important number one is? You have to live in it with Jesus. Walk with him, talk with him. Surrender your kingdom to his kingdom and then that joy takes over and you're like, man, I've gotta get everybody else involved in this. And you invite others in. Jesus' message was very, very simple to his disciples. Watch this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. He called his disciples to him and said, hey, follow me and, and here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna show you how to fish for people. So they were fishing for fish. That was their job. Jesus says, now that you're in, here's what we're going to do. We're going to catch some people. We're going to be on a relentless pursuit to invite as many people as possible into the kingdom. So number one, live in the kingdom yourself. Follow Jesus into the kingdom and invite others into it so that they can partake. So right now, I want you to think of three people. 
Just three people in your proximity. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's someone in your home. Maybe it's someone you run into at the bank. Maybe it's a barista at your favorite coffee shop. They are fish out of water right now. They're flopping around, trapped in anxiety, fear, worry, trapped in pursuing money or wealth. Just, you know who they are. Just, just think of three people. John, Sue. Why is it always Sue? I don't know why it's always Sue. Sue. There's a lot of Sues out there. I don't know. Maybe it's a Kevin. Maybe it's a Sam or a Samantha. I don't know. They are fish out of water right now because that's how, that's how it is. Like people were made, designed to live in the kingdom and they're outside and their gills are going like this and they're going, <sighs> they're not dead yet. But if they stay outside of the kingdom, they will die physically and spiritually. What are their names? Go ahead and think of them right now. God wants to use you to reach them. God is calling you to be on a relentless pursuit to help them enter into the kingdom. And so during this last song, I'm gonna invite you during this song, every single one of you, my hope is to get up out of your seat and there's name boards, whatever campus you're at, there's name boards all along the back walls here at Greenwood. There are two in the balcony. See those name boards? There's, it's not graffiti. <laughs> we don't write on our walls for the sake of writing on our walls. We write names down of people that we all, that you all are relentlessly pursuing. Over here, there's a name board. Whatever campus that you're at, there's a name board. And during this song, I would love for you in response to this talk to get up out of your seat and write those names on the board that you, people, you are going to pursue. Christmas is coming. Here at Emmanuel, it's a great time to invite your friends. Like it's almost American to come to church during Christmas, yes? Like, <laughs> so it's very easy to get a friend to come to a, a service during Christmas time. Will you pray with me? And then, and then will you rise and will you write their names on the boards? Will we do that? Can you do that? Pray with me. Father, thank you for the clarity of the mission of your son. That he didn't come for the healthy people. He didn't come for those who think they're righteous and have it all together. He came for the, the Levi's. The people who know they're, they're going the wrong direction. Me. And, and, and you came to encourage us to do a 180, to repent and step into life with you. And so help us right now have enough courage to rise out of our seat and to write the names down of the people that are in our life. Not famous celebrities, people we'll never talk to, but people on the job, in our classroom, our next door neighbors, to relentlessly pursue them, to invite them into the kingdom. Give us success, give us boldness, give us courage, give us wisdom as we pursue them. Maybe, maybe today, as, as you heard me describing the invitation, you suddenly realized, oh my gosh, I, I'm Levi. Like I, I have been pursuing all the wrong things. Things that I know will never ultimately satisfy my soul thirst. Maybe that's where you found yourself today. And you need to hear this message. You, you are invited. You personally are invited to follow Jesus. Jesus has said to you, regardless of going down the wrong path, 
and chasing all the wrong things, you may come. You may enter in. And today you need to make that choice. And you know it in your heart and you know who you are. You've avoided it long enough and now God's calling you in and he's even drawing you in and you can sense it. This is your moment. This is your time to do business with God. And if that's you right now, I'm just gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of courage. It's a prayer of trust. It's a prayer declaring that you're turning, you're repenting, and you're stepping into God's kingdom. And you can take these words and you can make them your own. You don't even have to come up with the prayer yourself. It's not even the words, it's the faith behind the words. And if that's you right now, do business with God. And say this to him. Dear Jesus, thank you for not passing me by. Thank you for stopping today and extending the invitation to me to follow you, to step into life with you. It's what I've been looking for, hoping for, longing for. And so today I, I turn, I do a 180 into your kingdom. I believe that, that you sacrificed your life to make that possible. You died on a cross to provide grace and forgiveness for all of my sins, mistakes, and wrongdoings. And so I embrace that, that grace today. Wash me, cleanse me, and make me your child. And from this day forward, teach me to seek your kingdom, to live in it, bathe in it, soak in it, experience all that you have for me help me to invite others in as well. And I pray this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory, church? Amen. Come on. All of our campuses, amen. If you trusted Christ right now, if you entered into the kingdom, whatever campus you're at in the back, there'll be these little Bibles you can grab. There's folks to my right and to my left in the back of your campus. They love to put a New Testament in your hands.